In 2023, the Film and Whiskey Podcast hits it big with the New York World Wine and Spirits Competition. Then we'll be trying a whiskey from San Francisco Distillers and sharing a very special announcement. This is the, the Film and Whiskey Podcast. Welcome into the Film and Whiskey Podcast. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we're back with another special bonus episode. Bonus episode. And dare I say, Brad, this might be our most important bonus episode to date. Our magnum opus. I don't want to overstate things, but also, you better be listening to this episode. Right? You you boys made it. (laughs) Somehow, <laughs> some way, we skirted authority and were invited to be judges at the New York World Wine and Spirits Competition, one of the most prestigious spirits tasting competitions in the world. Second and- only to the other competition that they run, the San Francisco. <laughs> so when Brad says they, he's talking about an organization called the Tasting Alliance. And the Tasting Alliance puts on three tasting uh, competitions each year, San Francisco, Singapore, and New York. Now, we were invited to New York as judges, and I still don't understand how our palates, Brad, were considered uh, elite enough to join the prestigious members there. Yours, I understand that sentiment. I have a great palate. (laughs) (laughs) So we decided, hey, we're going to go to New York. We're going to do our thing. We're going to try not to, uh, you know, put our foot in our mouths too much. And we're also going to record a bunch of audio. So this episode today, we've sat down with, what, four or five people from New York. And we've tried to cover a wide range of topics. Because before Brad and I were invited to this, we were regular people who were on the outside looking into spirits judging competitions. And And as you all know, we've done San Francisco review episodes. We've drank some of the product. Like. We've been interested in this process for a while, but this is, guys, this is like the ultimate behind the scenes. 100%. So we want to show everyone in Film and Whiskey Nation, what does it mean to be a judge at a spirits competition? And I think, Brad, we should set the stage a little bit because the first interview we're going to throw over to is our friend Zach Johnston, and we're going to talk about transparency in the judging process. But I also think we need to lay down a little bit of background on what the judging process in New York looks like. What is a medal at New York? What does it mean to medal? And what does it look like for two schmoes like us to walk in on a random afternoon or morning, put on some smocks and taste whiskeys? I mean, speak for yourself as a as a schmo, but <laughs> we should probably spend a solid 60 minutes talking about the smocks alone. Like what? What an impressive process. They were they were part kimono, like it was part hospital gown. Yes, a true <laughs> blend of the best sartorial things we've ever invented. So, okay, Brad and I get to the spot, the Ace Hotel, where this event is held, and we are given smocks to put on. Yeah. We go in and we are escorted to a table where we are under a table lead. Now, the table lead is the person who communicates with the guys that bring all of our samples, and we have a flight set out in front of us. I think our first flight 
was gin, and it was like six gins. And they're like, we're going to ease you into this, guys. Brad, I want to talk real quickly about what it looks like to judge at a spirits competition. So when they put a product in front of you, you sip it, and all you know about it is what's on the iPad in front of you, which is essentially like, here's the proof point, and if it's like a whiskey or an aged spirit, here's how long it was aged for. That's all you know. If it's a if, special barrel finish, like they might yep. tell you this was aged in X sherry in barrels. Sherry, sure. Yeah, something. We know very little. We never know brand names. We never know price points. It's, it's yep. very blind, which is good. And we start sipping and everyone sips silently. Like there is no table talk. You give your little score and your score is based on what metal would you assign to this? So you have the option of giving it a bronze metal, which is essentially like saying, hey, this is a you, sub- made, a- you made a product. It is a subpar yeah. product in my estimation, but it's a product. A silver is subpar is a strong that's strongly worded. Bob. I mean, I that was my operative sub- assumption. <laughs> silver is very much like, subpar. hey, you made an acceptable product. Gold is you made an exceptional product. And so or once the words of Bob Book. <laughs> A damn good product. (laughs) And after everyone sips through the whole flight, you are then walked through the array of medals that have been awarded to each spirit. So they're like, okay, sample A, you had two golds and two silvers. And then the table talks about, hey, I was a gold. Here's why I think this is a gold. Or I was a silver. This is why I think you should all vote silver on this. We all, as a table, then assign one final medal to that product, whether it's a silver or a gold. If everybody at the table agrees to give it a gold, it gets a double gold. That's a huge distinction in itself. But there is another step in the process after double gold. And Brad, I've been talking too long. Can you fill us in a little bit on that? Yeah. So like the conversation initially goes, hey, you know, three silvers and a gold. Okay, that's a silver. Hey, three golds and a silver. That's probably a gold. Okay, is it a double gold? Yes. All right, we have this double gold whiskey now. What do we do with it? Do we send it to sweeps or do we not send it to sweeps? What is sweeps? Yeah. And that's, I was about to say, sweeps is essentially best in class. Does this spirit, you know, a lot of what we drank was whiskey, but does this spirit, have a chance to not only be a double gold gin, tequila, vodka, whiskey, does it have a chance to be best tequila, whiskey, vodka, gin? And that's like a really cool thing. And on the final day of the competition, it's not just the whiskey people drinking whiskey anymore. It's every single judge that has been invited to the competition sits down and drinks all the sweeps whiskeys and says this here it is the pinnacle of whiskey in 2023 yep yeah and that was the the most fun day of the whole process that was day three so we spent two days drinking our flights right but then day three is sweeps and so like brad and i primarily drank whiskey for two whole days but then we get to day three and it's like Here's a bunch of tequilas. Here's a bunch of gins and vodkas. And it's like, here's three vodkas we sent on to sweeps. You have to pick between these three as what is the best vodka in the world. And it actually ended up resulting in some really cool 
processes and awards. And we're going to talk about one of them at the end of this episode. Brad, I don't want to give too much more away, but that is the essential process behind the New York World Wine and Spirits competition. I think we should throw over to our first interview with Zach. And we talked with Zach about what it looks like to be transparent in the judging process. And folks, what we try to do when we talk to people is answer basic objections we thought people would have. Like, is this a transparent process? How do you avoid conflicts of interest? If you guys are drinking as many samples as you say you are, how do you avoid your palate getting burnt out? How is, and, how is it honest? Yeah, 100%. So hopefully we do a good job of capturing that with our interviews. But Brad, what do you say we throw over to our friend Zach Johnston, and he can explain this a heck of a lot better than we can. I was going to say, if you're familiar with the Film and Whiskey podcast, you know our boy Zach Johnston. So I am super excited to get over to that interview, Bob. All right, let's get to it. All right, so we are here with our friend Zach Johnston. And like, uh, but let me finish friend, the intro. Friend doesn't feel like strong enough of a no. word. He is both friend and spirits editor at Uproxx. That's yes. how that's how much we love him. Is that we call him <laughs> by his official title on Uproxx? It says Zach Johnston, spirits editor and friend of the <laughs> film whiskey, whiskey podcast. podcast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we've done our little spiel about what this is. Mm -hmm. What is the New York World Wine and Spirits Competition? You can hear it in the background. It's still going on. We're about to break for lunch. We snuck out with Zach for a minute, and we want to just kind of give a brief overview. Not even overview. An intimate look into... You You went from like... Overview. 30,000 foot level to <laughs> let's hold hands. Right. <laughs> I think when people think about competitions like this, like the immediate thing is, why are they so secretive? Why won't they tell us blah, blah, blah? And I think what I've been most impressed with so far is like, Pretty much everything is public, yeah. right? Like now, obviously, as judges, we don't see what we're sampling. Everything is double blind. But as a consumer, as someone who's just interested in following this, you can go on the Tasting Alliance's website and you yep. can see everything about. Check out all the results. See see what's happened. They have a list of all the judges. Like you can you can look it all up if you want to. What constitutes a specific kind of metal? Mm -hmm. All of this stuff. Also. We're doing this podcast at the event. Right. Yeah. Like, that's how unsecretive like, it is. I was going to yeah. say, they wouldn't want us doing this yeah. if yeah. we had to join the Illuminati to do this. Yeah. They, yeah. They specific, we didn't even offer to do a podcast here. They asked us to do this. Yeah. So yeah. like. Yeah. Open door. Yeah. All right. So, Zach, we've talked a little bit about what the medals mean and things like that. Getting down into the nitty gritty. We have been placed at your table this year. You are table lead. Which just means you're old, right? You've yes, just been doing this for <laughs> old <laughs> salt. Zach, how many years have you been doing this now? Three, three years at this one. So. Oh, old. Okay. Yeah. yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> so they stuck. They stuck you me and Brad. Old. You said old, and all I could think of is the old lady in the Princess Bride yelling at the princess. <laughs> <laughs> they put me and Brad. True love, and you threw it away. You threw it away. <laughs> <laughs> they put me and Brad at Zach's table. We had a fourth yesterday who has rotated out today. It's been really, really fun. And the way that it's worked is we have gone through 10-ish flights of spirits each day. And each flight is in a particular category that's being judged. Let's just talk a little bit about one of the flights we just had. Yeah. So we yeah. were in a bourbon flight. And I think it was called straight bourbon up to 10 year. Small batch bourbon, up small to batch bourbon yep. up to 10 year. That was the category name. We had a very contentious debate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what the debate itself was. But Zach, I want you to just kind of like educate our listeners a little bit. What does it look like when there is an impasse that's reached? Right. I think 
there is a perception in the general zeitgeist media consumer base that, oh, we're just giving out double golds left and right. Like it's, you know, like we all know what the brands are. We all know what the price. We don't know any of that stuff. Right. We literally know an ABV and a H statement. That's it. And sometimes not even an H statement. And sometimes not even an H statement. And so when we taste through, it becomes very obvious something that's good, something that's bad, something that's mid. But like we all have different palates. We all come from different backgrounds. So what we find as extraordinary isn't always universal. And so there is often debate around whether or not something deserves a coveted double gold because a double gold means this is extraordinary. And we can agree on, yes, this is really good bourbon, but might not agree on whether this is a double gold extraordinary bourbon or not. Simply, and based on legitimate factors where when we were looking at one particular uh, taste just less than an hour ago, you know, it was, it came down to like, where is the balance? Like, is this extraordinary in the sense that this is something truly special or is it just really, really good? Yeah. Right. Or is it something that's completely so unique that people won't even be able to understand what the hell it is? Right. Yeah. And, you know, you have to take that into consideration as well. As in, like, if we're judging a hazmat bourbon, we have to consider, well, the consumer is going to be reaching for it as a hazmat bourbon. So right. is it good as that? Yeah. And it's never, is this the best on the panel of left, right, and center? It's like, what is this alone? Yeah. And never comparing it to another one on a panel. Yeah. You know, uh, it's very, it's very important that discussion happens because when we rate something, we're all rating, giving it a different medal, you, uh, you know, anonymously. And unless it is a unanimous, all gold, it's not going to get a double gold unless we talk, you know, a holdout up to a gold medal. And you have to have the, <laughs> the skills to talk, convince somebody that, hey, this is actually, yeah. there's something deeper in here. Let's go back to it. Let's try it again. Let's, you know, have a chat about it. Yep. And then that also 100% is a double-edged sword and works the other way. We have, you get talked down to being like, yeah, I was a little too excited about yeah. this. Looking back on it now, I'm like, yeah, okay, now I see those faults or right. now I see those those, you know, sort of like dents in the armor where it's like, you know, maybe this is a bronze and not a right. silver. And, you know, so it goes both ways. And we, we literally, yeah, both we happened. Had, yeah. yeah. And we literally had one today where it was like three of our four gave it a silver, one gave it a bronze. And then we talked about it for one minute and everybody's like, yeah, that was a bronze. We're sound, we sound like we're describing a bronze now. Yeah. yeah. We yeah, all yeah. dropped down to bronze. And we yeah. all kind of knew instinctively yeah. that's where we're at. Right. Yeah. And so this idea, like, I mean, there's maybe, two double golds in a, a panel of 10, right. eight to 10 pours, right. maybe. Sometimes they're say, done. Yeah. Sometimes there aren't any. And sure. so the idea that like, you know, we know what we're giving double golds to or that it's just this automatic thing is crazy because it is like every time there's a double gold, then, then, then there's a debate on whether or not it's a contender to be like best in show bourbon and best in show whiskey overall. And that's a whole different conversation, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, I might love this, but like, this isn't a contender. Right. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it's more like, this is great. It's exceptional. It's unique. But is this going to beat a like 30 year old mind blowing Japanese whiskey? F- no. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> and so, and I think that honestly has been one of the most interesting parts of this as a new person in the world of judging whiskey and spirits. 
it's fascinating for me, the debate of like, all right, we're all cold on this, but it's not out of this world. Yeah. Or, you know, one or two people, we had a debate earlier where uh, I'm going to toot my own horn here. Zach and I <laughs> were like, this is a double gold sweeps worthy. This is incredible. And we had a long debate about it. And it, and it genuinely is one of my favorite moments of the day Yeah, because we really got to get into like why we loved this whiskey and other people, Bob, <laughs> were able to say, no, this isn't Sweepsworthy, and give his wrong opinion about it. <laughs> and at the end of the day, too, say, I trust everyone at this competition and their palate enough that, like, hey, we're going to send this on to Sweeps. Yeah. Like, whether or not it succeeds at Sweeps is up to everyone yeah. here. Yeah. But, like, I am okay understanding that I might mm-hmm. be wrong on this one, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and that's what I've enjoyed most is, like, all facetiousness aside, like, it's really fun to argue your point, but then say, yeah, let's just submit it to the general panel. Uh, We might have said this earlier, but we might have said this earlier, but sweeps means every single spirits person drinks this and decides how good it is. Exactly. And so like that, that's just a cool process. Yeah. All right, Zach, we'll probably talk with you in a little bit, but uh, I think we're going to break for lunch for the day, which is fantastic because I think my palate needs new flavors now. Yes, we will be back with some more interviews after this break. All right, we're back. We have had lunch. I ate a damn good churro. It, like, truly an incredible churro. <laughs> we had somebody <laughs> at our table saying, this is the best hotel churro I've ever had. So we're creating new tasting categories among hotel That's churros. That's our next competition. Absolutely. <laughs> hotel churros. And the voice that you're hearing right now is Amanda Blue, who is president of the Tasting Alliance, which is what is behind this whole thing. So we're very honored to be sitting down with you right now. Thank you. Like, I'm very this is, honored this to be with been, you. This has been incredible. We're on day two. Yes. And I will say, like, as a first-time participant here, this is truly incredible. Yeah. Like, we are having an absolute blast here. Experiencing awesome. from day one, like, the first wave. We're doing a few gin flights. We're jumping into whiskey for the rest of the day. And, like, as people who have been enjoying whiskey for four, well, six to eight years now. Yeah. We've been doing the podcast for four years now, drinking a whiskey every single week. It's so cool to be here behind the scenes a little bit and being able to experience what you guys have created in the world, which is to say, hey, like, we all love this thing we call whiskey, gin, vodka, wine. Let's give it some legs. Let's see where this can go when you bring some great judges in. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a little bit like obviously at this point when we're talking New York, when we're talking San Francisco, these are like well-oiled machines. Correct. Are you still finding, I mean, I have to assume there's like still things each year that you're like, we're finding ways to make this more efficient. We're finding ways to improve upon this. Like, you know, when Brad and I come in and we're talking to Janine, for example, and, and she's talking about like, we make sure to put this thing on the left and, you know, just the presentation of it. I and think on what, the glasses, it's, you know, lowercase e because the E and F get mixed up. It's like little yeah. things that you're like, wow, this is this is well thought out. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess I'm just wondering, like, just in your time doing this, mm-hmm. like, where have you seen even, you know, those those tiny little improvements, those tiny little ways of making things run more smoothly? I think probably our iPad software is the biggest change and and move into the next into the next century yeah Yeah. um we're able to provide tasting notes to the brands 
um, concise tasting notes that are compiled from some of the best palates in the world, which I think is a really big bonus. Plus, there's, you know, no room for human error of like inputting a B or a, an S and not being able to know what yeah. it says. Um, so iPad software, um, we really diversified our our panel. So we have a lot more different kinds of palettes out there because um, it's very well documented scientifically that women have better palettes than mm-hmm. men yeah. just biologically through evolution in caring for their children. Yeah. No, so we've had a lot more. Can I speak to that more. for one second? Are you going to try to negate it? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. My wife is like, does not like whiskey. Mm-hmm. But I bring almost every glass to her and just be like, all right, babe, just give me your nose on this because her nosing notes are incredible. And then she's like, but whiskey lies and it never tastes as good as it smells. (laughs) And so like, that's great for her. But I constantly, constantly am asking her for her notes because I am with you 100%. Her her nose palate is incredible. Yeah. Wait, so I got to ask, so you were talking about the iPad technology. Mm-hmm. Was it like paper balloting before the iPad? It was uh, handwritten notes. It was uh, on a piece of paper. And then the panel coordinator would come around and you would say your score. But this way, there's a lot less um, bias coming from other people because it sort of auto-populates into the, ca- into the panel coordinator's sure. iPad. So you, you're not like... Oh, I'm not going to be the cool one that gives it a bronze or a no medal. Like you have yeah. to really put yourself out there and yeah. put what you what you think. For sure. Um, there's obviously room for discussion afterwards, but yeah, it 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 has modernized the process. It's made it a lot easier in the back of the house. I mean, after the competition, the competition is just the beginning. After the competition, going through all the results and making sure we have everything properly categorized. Yep. Um, before we go out to press is is just as big of a job as the actual I'm competition sure. itself. So let's zoom out a little bit. Just give us like the the 30 second version of your history with the Tasting Alliance and then also the Tasting Alliance as an institution, the history there. Okay. I have um, been involved in the wine, food and spirits world my whole life. Uh, my dad was the editor for Bon Appetit magazine, the wine and spirits editor for 30 years, and Anthony Dias Blue, a very well-known wine critic. And he started the wine competition as part of the Tasting Alliance in 1980, and then started the first ever uh, spirits competition in 2000. And then this one started in 2010, and we started our Singapore competition in 2018, and then we've got our RTD competition now, and we just created the Tasting Alliance um, probably about six years ago, just as an umbrella mm-hmm. to hold all the competitions. Yeah. Um, and I love that. Even just the name choice there, right? It's not the tasting competition, right? It's an alliance of people who love spirits, who love wine, who want to come together and work together to figure this all out. Like, mm-hmm. there's something about the name there that just sticks out to me of like, we are an alliance of judges mm-hmm. working together. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, there's something about that that I'm like, you guys hit the nail on the head there. Thanks. So I'm curious, like, as president now of the yeah. Tasting Alliance, like, what's just something that you love about the competitions that like, regardless of the one you go to, you just always sit back and be like, man, I love that that happened. Um, I'm always interested in the stories behind the spirits and um, I come from a film background and so I'm very story motivated and to see some of these 
small brands that are just made in somebody's backyard or their kitchen uh, competing against, you know, huge multinational brands and winning. I mean, I just think it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, people see alcohol as sometimes like a way to get drunk. Yep. I guess a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, this We're trying to elevate it to be an experience. Yeah. You know, part of like, like what you're doing, like add, it's, it's an art form in itself and then adding it to another art form, which is watching films and music. And mm-hmm. um, it's just a way, a better way to experience life. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but I just love hearing the stories behind the brands once they've won. I don't know the stories beforehand, mm-hmm. but, you know, we've had um, amazing stories of people just, you know, starting on a whim during pandemic and, and they win out over huge, huge brands mm-hmm. and they skyrocket to fame yeah. right afterwards. It's, yeah. it's, it's awesome. All right. Last thing I want to ask before we let you go, because I know yes. you're a very busy person. We're in the middle of day two. Yes. And I don't know, like Brad and I have been, we've probably had 30 something whiskeys already today. Mm-hmm. Palate fatigue is a real thing with, with judges. And like, yes. by the time you hit over a hundred samples that you've tried, you're doing everything you can to make sure your palate's fresh. You know, we're nibbling cheese in between so we can get that fattiness on our tongues. Like, can you break down a little bit of like, what is palate fatigue? How do we try to avoid it? And like, how do you address it as the tasting alliance? Right. Well, it's a very important thing to to address. And, you know, in San Francisco, it's even more prevalent because we have almost 10 times more spirits than we are having uh, in New York. And um, it's a real big concern. And we tell each judge beforehand, like, no big deal. Just you can tap out for a couple flights. You know, there's no shame in that game. Um if we sense that, you know, in the back of the house that there is some sort of palate fatigue happening, we will pull a judge for a couple of flights. Um, we like to, we've added a lot more panels so that there is, there are smaller flights because we don't want palate fatigue to be an issue. Um, and we've spread it out over many more days. So this competition used to be one day. Now it's oh three. <laughs> San Francisco. 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Yeah, maybe. exactly. <laughs> San Francisco um, was two days. Now it's, you know, it will probably end up being four next year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely something that we're concerned about and that we're keeping our eye on at all times. Yeah. Brad, how's your palate doing? Oh, dude, I'm that ready. churro helped. Um, the churro, churro was an absolute reset. Yeah, we're gonna bring Amanda back on for an hour long churro review later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for now, Amanda, thank you so thank much for you. joining thank us. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. All right, we are joined by John Oliver. Not that John Oliver. Not that John Oliver. I, although I feel like you should say. He he took my thing. First of all, I'm the original one on this yeah, side of the pond. The, the OG. So, yeah. you know, yes. He decided to come over and just steal my name, but that's okay. Have you tried ever just, you know, going as him? Like, affecting a, a comical British accent to try Ooh, to pass like off. this and yeah. all that? See? <laughs> it's perfect. We have John Oliver on <laughs> the show. And I fly across <laughs> to his side of the pond and become him. <laughs> John, you are a judge here for how many years now? Uh, going on about four or five years now okay. for, for awesome. the competition. Yeah. A seasoned vet, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> so what we're trying to do today is we're trying to capture people from all aspects of the industry and like why it's important to have all those people represented. So 
What is your role in the spirits industry? Yep. So I basically come from the distributor end mm -hmm. of our three-tier system, um, meaning importer or manufacturer or creator of the brand as tier one, tier two being the distributor, we buy from them, and then tier three being the store or restaurateur or bar that we sell to that ultimately gets it into the hands of the consumer. So I'm not kind of that middle tier, yeah. the distribution tier. And I focus specifically on the spirits end of our business. I work for a company called Breakthrough Beverage Group. Mm -hmm. We sell in 16 states across the US plus Canada. Uh, and we sell a diverse portfolio of wine, spirits, and beer in some markets as well. In my role, I handle specifically our emerging spirits portfolio. Mm. So a lot of those newer brands that are coming to market, those brands that need a little extra TLC and kind of trying to build their brand awareness and demand, I work specifically with those types of portfolios mm. uh, and suppliers to really, hopefully, make them the next generation of spirits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it seems like then the natural thing for you to do would be to come to competitions like this to kind of help shape that process of what is being awarded these medals that will get them on the shelves. Yeah, I, you know, this competition really helps not only me personally and professionally continue to kind of fine tune our palates and, and really what we look for mm -hmm. in a flavor profile, but in terms of kind of shaping, you know, what should be awarded and not awarded, you know, it's always that that fine art of finding what is really true to the category. Mm -hmm. You know, so when we're sitting down and saying, OK, we're going to be judging a line of uh, silver tequilas or reposado tequilas or single malt scotch, whatever it might be, you know, what is the truest expression of that? But also what is going to be well-made and maybe push that category kind of into a new frontier and really expand the diversity of what's available and what that category can deliver for sure. the flavor profile. What I really wanted to talk about with you is kind of the counterbalance to Brad's question, and it's the double-blind nature of the competition. And so, I, I mean, I think people understand that we are drinking all of these spirits blind, but how important that is, because we do want to have every aspect of the industry represented without having any conflict of interest, right? I mean, I'm sure that people who are on like the manufacturer side of things would know what a product they're familiar with would taste like. And so having it blind in front of you effectively eliminates any of that, right? It really does. It, it, it is a equal level playing field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much of what I do in my current role with Breakthrough is really go through a, a let's say, five to 10 step evaluation process of what we look at uh, many different factors that go into our decision of whether we want to bring on a new brand or embrace a brand and, 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 and help to grow it. And a lot of that has to do with package, the people behind it, you know, all these different factors. Whereas in here, we're just going on what's the juice inside the bottle. Yeah. What is the merits are you going to award something based on how it's made versus nothing else it doesn't matter what it looks like it doesn't matter who made it it doesn't matter what the price point is it is a level playing field in the purest of form yeah and that's something that amanda said a little bit earlier right before you came on she said like the stories are what attract you of like because this is a level playing field when the little guys win double gold when they when they hit sweeps and they win best in class, that's incredible. And that's only possible because of 
this level playing field. It's a huge, huge selling point for my sales force across all of our different markets to not only have that story behind how a brand was made, but then to come over the top and say, listen, this was awarded you know, one of the best medals you could possibly get from a tasting competition in the world. Yeah. And it is truly a blind competition. And this was based on what is inside that bottle. Yep. So it's a great way for our reps to come over the top and almost like close the deal mm-hmm. and, and make that sale for the smaller guys or larger guys. It really, really helps enhance the value of a brand. Yeah. yeah. Before we get out of here, I have one final question and we're going to, Tip into the movie world for a minute. I was about, I was going to ask the same thing. Because John Oliver used to be a full-time movie critic. He told me it was in a past life. But, in a past uh, life, yes. You still get pretty fired up about Tarantino. Yes. You have your favorites. I have to ask, man, why is the film, film school graduate slash film critic to Spirits Taster Pipeline so strong? Because we've talked to you. We've talked to Zach, Amanda. Everyone has a film background. Listen. That's because we like to mix business with pleasure. <laughs> yep. We only go in industries that provide and check both of those boxes. Yes. <laughs> there is no other answer to that. <laughs> that is it. So essentially, I like to party. Yeah. Yeah. And when I need to take a restaurant party, I go to the movies. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Final, final question. What is the best film of 2023 so far? The best film of 2023 so far probably is Oppenheimer. Yeah. I've only seen it in its basic form, but as we were talking about the other day, I'm going to see it in two weeks at the 70 millimeter IMAX mm-hmm. in Lincoln Center. They're still playing it. So it should be a really, really cool treat yeah. you know, to see that. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Oppenheimer has been such an incredible way to see like, People still love going to the movies and like I, it's just really encouraging to see. Well, we're looking forward to your review of Oppenheimer in a couple of weeks. But until then, thank you so much for sitting down today. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Great to be with you, John. All right, so. All right. We are joined by Maddie McDowell, who is the vice president of the Tasting Alliance. And fun fact, Brad, one of our favorite people on planet Earth. Guys. We've talked to quite a few people in the world of whiskey. Maddie, if I dare say it, is just freaking cool. Yeah. You guys are sweet. I was going to say, how are you doing? With that intro, how are you doing? Thank you for having me, putting me on the spot, making me blush. But I appreciate you guys taking the time to speak with me and allowing me to be on the podcast. This was our first year with New York. And, you know, if, if I can speak freely... Like we both have backgrounds in obviously in spirits, right? But, you know, Brad runs a wedding planning business. He is he is attuned to the the tiny minute things that you do as the tasting alliance to run a tight ship and to keep it going as a well-oiled machine. Fun fact. It's impressive. It is very. (laughs) I was going to say to have someone that is not only on top of the minute details, but is also so well versed in the spirit side of things. I there's there's part of me that wants to dedicate an hour at the back end of this episode to just picking your brain about the encyclopedia that has to live in there because it it has to be extensive. And I guess my first question to you, Maddie, is just like, how do you find yourself becoming the vice president of the Tasting Alliance? 
where do you accumulate this knowledge? Like, is it something you just picked up or is it like the, the job training itself? Kind of the job training. I had, um, I was fortunate enough to start out as Anthony Diaz Blue's office assistant, which essentially allowed me to set up flights and taste with him. So I was learning from, if not one of the best people in the industry to kind of guide me, not only spirits, but wine. So I'm very, very fortunate that I got that experience and had access to his wonderful wine and spirits library um, that I could kind of catch up on. It's very helpful when you have a high end (laughs) library to be like, let's test my palate out here. (laughs) 100%. I think my second day I went home with 10 books. Um, I did not get through them quickly, but uh, over (laughs) a few months I finally did. So it was, it was a wonderful experience and then just kind of worked my way up through the company. And in 2017, I was promoted to the managing director in SF. And then last year I got moved up to VP. Well, and that's such a cool space, especially, you know, obviously Anthony Dyes Blue started this, but like, what is it like being in a, if we're being honest and frank, a very male dominated industry to be a female led organization leading the most prestigious tasting and judging competition? Like, like what has that been like as a woman to step into that space and be so respected in what you guys offer to the world of spirits and wine in general. It has been quite an honor, actually. I feel like the industry is mainly dominated by male presence. And our company is essentially all female. We are a female-run organization, starting with our president and CEO, Amanda Blue, um, down to our warehouse manager, Chelsea. It is it's amazing just to be in an industry with women and kind of feeling empowered and showing another face out there to other people that are interested that wouldn't necessarily come up to it in the beginning. So I want to ask you a little bit about just the the process itself. So we've talked with three or four people today. You know, we talked with Zach Johnston about transparency from the organizational standpoint, like that we're not hiding anything. We're being open and honest about how we're tasting things and what we're tasting. We talked with Amanda about palate fatigue. We talked with John Oliver about what it means to have, you know, to get around conflicts of interest that the double blind process is really kind of the great equalizer so that a manufacturer or distributor is not just stumping for their own stuff. If there's anyone out there who is curious about the process of a San Francisco or a New York, that we haven't talked about to this point. Like, what is it that you wish the average consumer knew about this process? I think one of the ways we kind of set ourselves apart from other competitions is we are completely blind. As you guys know, being some of our Mm -hmm. judges, you do not receive any information on price or brand or region. You get alcohol percentage and the category and any other pertinent information you would need, such as flavor, um, specifically flavored vodka, flavored gin, in order for you to judge it accurately. So it is 100% a blind competition, and we do pride ourselves on that. And that goes all the way up to sweepstakes, which determines our best of class and best in show. Some people do get price point, which for us, it's better to not do that because you can kind of narrow it down that way. So this ensures that it is a blind competition. Yeah. I was going to say, and that's the other thing that impressed me. So being brand new judges this year, paired with somebody like a Zach Johnston, who's been around the block a few times. He has vocalized, yes, 
four or five years ago, it was different. They've learned, they've listened, they've grown, they've, they've adapted to the best way of judging spirits so that the best medals are awarded. And I think that's what impressed me the most was this ability that you guys have to say, hey, 2023 is one iteration of the competition and we're going to learn from it and we're going to do it better in 2024. And it feels like you guys have a desire for innovation and for perfecting the judging method that makes you guys top class in the world of spirits competitions. That is something we definitely strive to do every year, if not every other competition. Um, We get recommendations from our judges on how we can improve or, you know, brands want to see certain things and we're only as good as the people that come and help us out. So we have to strive to constantly be better and to um, to listen to everybody involved in order to still be the best. If I'm playing devil's advocate, and this is something that I've really wanted to ask about, because, you know, we saw the list of you're finally, the, we saw the, the list. Worst. Of, you're the worst. Bob. <laughs> I'll be the worst. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Label me the worst. So we saw the list of finalists that came out from the the bourbon world. Right. Yes. And. It included the best in class bourbon, but it also included everything that was a finalist in its individual category. And I would say 90% of the bourbons that were labeled as finalists were in the triple digits on the market. And if I'm an average consumer and I am not digging deeply into these kind of things, I'm looking at that and saying like, oh, these competitions, they're only judging, you know, really expensive bourbons or they're only promoting really expensive bourbons. And that's not necessarily the case. And, you know, I, I've wanted to talk to you about 2019 when Henry McKenna wins best in class whiskey right in in the world at San Francisco and essentially changes the industry. How do you, as a promoter of the Tasting Alliance, encourage brands to submit not just their highest end product to submit the $50 whiskey for consideration, because whether or not it gets picked as the best in show, it's important to have a wide array of price points represented. It is 100%. And it kind of goes back to our judging process. We do not tell you guys anything about price point. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that essentially says is that those distillers are doing their due diligence and they're doing something right there, no matter the price point. It was so exciting when Henry Henry McKenna won Best of Class Whiskey. I think it was, you know, a $45 bottle originally. And then obviously that price escalated just a little bit because of the win, which is amazing. Um, That's just something consumers should know too. It is blind. We don't provide price point. So anything that does win, it it wins on its own merit. And because it is the best at that point, it could have been up against $1,000 products that it didn't win. Um, It just so happened to be $200. And that's, and that's something that we encourage people, like, take your whiskeys, have your significant other blind them for you, and just have a fun night where you try four different whiskeys completely blind and write a few notes and say, hey, like, this one blew me away. Oh, wait, yeah. that was Rebel Yell 100 for $20. Like, <laughs> Exactly. You never know. And it's such a fun process. And there's, you know, kind of an educational value there. You can kind of see how this $300 bottle isn't as good actually as this $25 bottle. hundred um, percent actually goes into the product itself. I mean, we've had $6 sparkling wine beat out some $200 champagne. Um, so, you know, it just kind of depends on the product. 
So I, I kind of want to go in on that a little bit. And I want to talk about the back end or the aftermath of the judging process. And I feel like you guys have been so kind and so polite and so meek and mild when I ask about this. But like, very obviously, you guys can change an entire industry. Or I guess, you know, now that we're a part of the judging competition, we can change an entire industry in the blind, Bob and, right? Bob and Brad. Specifically Basically, Bob and Brad. Brad. Right. Single-handedly <laughs> change the industry. That's going in the subtitle of our podcast. But, it should. It should. but seriously, like if we if we use the Henry McKenna example, Henry McKenna goes from a $40 bottle of whiskey to allocated and people are charging hundreds on the secondary market. And I am not blaming you for secondary market pricing, but I also... I want you to hear from Brad and I like <laughs> and you know this what San Francisco and what New York does can swing an entire industry and it can swing it. I would argue for the better yeah. for for an affordable product like Henry McKenna to win best in class whiskey over 25 year single malt scotches or whatever it might be. It's good for the industry. Yeah. And, and I will I will once again reiterate it swings it. And the only reason it swings it for the better is because of the double blind process. Mm -hmm. like, like at the end of the day, it is a genuine unbiased process where I sit down as a judge and say, I just drank these eight whiskeys. This one is the best. I don't know anything about it other than the fact that it's an American small batch. Yeah. And the proof. And that's all I know. And because <laughs> we choose based on that. It feels like the swings that happen in the industry are honest. And, and that speaks to the average consumer. Yeah. Well, and I guess my question as a result of that is, do you feel a responsibility as a result of that? Do you feel is it like a burden on you to feel like we can swing a whole industry or is it does it feel exciting? Does it feel like a privilege more than a burden? You know, both. Uh, yeah. It can be a little bit stressful at times just because we do know that after these results are released, we are setting trends for the foreseeable future. Um, but it's also exciting because you get to elevate brands that people wouldn't normally know about. And now all of a sudden they're at the top of the shelf or at the counter yeah. with our metal on them. And more and more consumers are buying and just seeing how their profits have increased or their sales numbers have increased from, I don't know, two days for instance, we just spoke with Ricky Johnson from 15 Stars, mm -hmm. who just won Best Bourbon. Come on, yep. um, come on. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. And he just let us know that they sold more product over the last four days than they had the last few months based on their results. So it's just really it's awesome. And it's a great feeling to know that we helped make that happen and that more and more people now want to try such an amazing product. And it's got to feel incredible, too, to know that it's not you simply stumping for a product. It's you shining a spotlight on what is objectively a great product. Like what comes out of the blind process is a bunch of people agreeing without knowing the name of this. It's the best thing we've tried today. And so you get to shine a spotlight on smaller brands or bigger brands. Right. But there's no bias introduced into that. And so you feel this sense of, I don't know, Brad, what would you call it? Just pride in knowing we get to promote this brand because we know that at the end of the day, regardless of the label on the bottle, it's the best thing we've tried. That That's the thing. We get to promote a brand that I don't even know what the brand is. 
Right, right. <laughs> like, like that might Dying. sound silly, but that's the key to the whole thing. I did not know that 15 stars won best whiskey in the world until the results came out. What was it? September 12th? Like a few yeah. days ago? Yep. I didn't know. Yeah. And like, that's the cool thing about it is that as judges, Bob and I got to wear the fancy smocks and everything and drink <laughs> the whiskey. And we did not know the results until the results were released to the public. And there's something about that that's just a cool opportunity to say, this isn't, this is, I'll, I'll come back to the word. It's honest. It's genuine. Like we're, we're the film and whiskey podcast. We talk about movies. Bob, you tell me what's the one thing about a movie performance that sticks out to me as like, oh, that was great. <laughs> Earnestness and sincerity. There it is. Earnest, earnestness oh, and that. sincerity. Yeah. And the 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 tasting alliance provides an earnest and sincere opportunity to judge spirits. Mm -hmm. And obviously we're the film and whiskey podcast. We drank a lot of whiskey there, but we drank gin there. We drank liqueurs there. There was an opportunity to say, hey, like this is a sincere judging just based on the merits of the juice. Yep. And that's really cool. Well, and and with Maddie's permission, we've been we've been given permission to talk about <laughs> the winner of the best liqueur, best in class liqueur for twenty twenty three. Now, here's the thing, Film and Whiskey Nation. I'm going to tell you this right now, Bob stumped. I am so excited to talk about so this. hard for this liqueur. We were it's at exciting. the end at the end of like day nineteen of drinking, and Bob was like. This corn liqueur is the best thing in the world. I will tell and you how this. Let me set the stage. So Brad <laughs> and I have come off of eight flights of whiskey, all bourbons, no rise, many, no many scotches. Of them a hundred proof or higher. We had just come off of a hazmat flight of bourbons. My palate is shot. I'm I am pounding cheese and celery at this point. And we come back into the room as they reset the flights and they said, you are drinking the category other liqueurs. I don't even know come what an other liqueur is. That's the category on, title. And we sit down and the first liqueur in this flight is a corn liqueur. Now, Brad, I have had tons of liqueurs in my time. I've had a pecan, yep. a really great pecan liqueur. I've, I've had like, liqueurs all the time. They're always <laughs> they're always really sweet. They're always fruit flavored. This is a corn flavored liqueur. And I'm like, yeah. what does this even seem like? I, I nosed it and it, it smells like when you just get fresh corn on the cob and boil it in the pot and it tasted throw, like sweet corn. Throw a little I butter on that bad boy. There's literally like I can't I can't give more complicated tasting notes. And as I drank this, I was like, this is exactly what I want a corn liqueur to taste like. Our table drank it. There were some golds. There were some silvers. And I said, you people need to understand what I'm saying right now. <laughs> this is the platonic ideal of a corn liqueur. This is a double gold and it needs to go to sweeps. And this is this is what's great about the process. As we re-nosed it, as we retasted it, it we're went like, around yeah. the table and everyone said, you're right. This should go to sweeps as an example of what a corn liqueur could be. Now, Brad and I go into sweeps where every judge who has tasted any kind of alcohol based content over the two days is there. And we're voting on best in class liqueur. And I look at my table and I say, it's been a good run for the corn liqueur. 
And there are people at this table that know exactly what brand this probably is. I'm unfamiliar with it, being from Ohio. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's really good. And I watch hands go up as we vote for best in class liqueur. And I'm like, is this really happening right now? Yeah. And listen, Brad, I'm I 100% am not taking credit for this. It was just so cool to see a little bit. A little, a little bit. bit. We, we will accept their sponsorship <laughs> dollars if they would like. I'm just saying, like, it was so cool to see something go from our table to sweeps and then get named best in the world at something. Yes. And then and- at the very end of all of that, we're talking with Maddie and she explains, like, this is a company that has been at the competition improving their products based on the feedback. Yeah. And now they're best in class. So I'm I'm curious, Maddie, like, can you share a little bit about your communication with, you know, not just this corn liqueur that's incredible, but like, what is it like communicating with the vendors who are sending you their liqueurs, their liquors? And like, how does the story of this corn liqueur, em- like, is it emblematic of what you guys are all about? I think it it definitely is a part of it, 100%. The last few years, we have started to offer tasting notes to brands that entered. Um, this not only gives wonderful feedback for the products that do well, but it gives constructive and necessary feedback from the brands that do not meddle or receive a lesser medal. They go back to the drawing board based on our notes, see what they can improve upon, um, what they did right, what they could change. And then they either choose to re-enter or they don't, or they choose to upgrade the product a little bit or they don't, but it allows us to give them that feedback so they can choose to do so. We get a lot of products that actually aren't on the market yet um, that they'll send for us to try before they're even released. So before they go ahead and put all the packaging and do all the labeling, they can make sure that they have the best already ready to go. Well, folks, we have a quick announcement before we let Maddie go. And that is now, the Tasting Alliance is in charge of the New York Wine and Spirits Competition, as well as the San Francisco World Wine and Spirits Competition. We have very graciously been asked to join the San Francisco crew next April. And Brad, yeah. if ever a man has felt imposter syndrome, <laughs> I don't think Maddie understands quite yet who she has asked to come to San Francisco. But oh, as of guys, right now, little credit. as of right now, we're going to San Francisco. Let's Brad, go. I think that it's time for us to pour ourselves a celebratory pour, and we have the perfect whiskey to do that. We've got San Francisco distillers here on the docket. So what do you say we go review some San Francisco distillers, and we talk about what it means for us at Film & Whiskey to be on the docket for San Francisco in April? Yeah, let's do it, man. But first off, we've interviewed many people today. You've heard a bunch of different voices. I can't tell you guys, Maddie McDowell... The goat. Truly a mensch. Maddie, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to be with you again in person in April. But until then, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, and thank you guys. Thanks again for having me. And thank you for joining us this year at the New York competition. All right, we're going to review San Francisco Distilling Company's 49 Mile Bourbon as a toast to ourselves for being greeted as judges at the San Francisco World Wine and Spirits Competition. I cannot freaking wait until April, Brad. It's a few months from now, but we're going to drink to it today. Yes, we sure are, Bob. It, <laughs> man, 
Going to New York City is incredible for so many reasons, and I feel like going to California will be equally incredible, but for a variety of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, they really hit the perfect two places to go. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about this bottle in front of us. This was graciously sent to us by San Francisco Distilling Company. It's called 49 Mile Bourbon, and it's a bourbon that we know very little about from the label itself. Now, I'm looking at a couple websites, and it says that uh, the that this is believed to be an MGP product. It is aged for seven years and the mash bill is undisclosed, but again, it's guessed to be uh, 75% corn, 21% malted rye, 4% malted barley. So it's a high rye mash bill. It clocks in at 90 proof and it'll set you back about $49 to go along with the 49 miles in its title. Brad, I'm diving into the nose right now. And I have to say, the high rye is really jumping off of this, but not like I don't get rye grain on it. But when we talk about how rye can be really spicy sometimes, this is like the whole spice cabinet. Yeah, I think you can easily just give a generic baking spices note on this mm-hmm. nose and you really do hit a lot of different things. For me, it gets a little bit minty and a, a tiny bit almost like an orange zest along with some vanilla. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there's some interesting, good flavors here. I'm not getting a ton of caramel, which, you know, you, you'd kind of hope for on a bourbon, but we'll see where we get on the palate. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm getting like fresh, fresh nutmeg on this. Like if you've ever grated nutmeg, like it's super potent. It's almost black pepper and nutmeg, a little bit of clove. I know, Brad, you said baking spices and that kind of covers the whole thing. But usually when we say baking spices, we just mean cinnamon, right? And this time around, it's like very potent nutmeg and I'm really digging it, but it doesn't smell like your classic maple, caramel, vanilla bourbon notes. Let's go ahead and give it a sip. Again, this is 90 proof, so I'm not expecting a ton of a punch here. Brad, what are you picking up on the palate? This one's really beautiful, Bob. I think that the rye spices come through nice and strong. There, For me, there is a little bit of a caramel nature to it, but mm-hmm. it's not overwhelming. This is like a really approachable introduction to rye, even though it's still a bourbon. Like I, like I feel like there's a lot of spiciness going mm-hmm. on here, not compared to a pure rye, but for a bourbon, yeah. it's pretty spicy and I, I, I like it a lot. Yeah, I'm getting a ton. Once again, I'm getting a ton of oak on this. Like it's really oaky, but it's very, very spicy. A lot of black pepper. Uh, And I get like a little bit of a Coca-Cola, but there's not really a sweetness to it. It's almost like if you took Coke and then put it in a barrel for a couple of years and then extracted it. That's kind of what I'm getting from this whiskey. It's not an overly sweet whiskey. And I think to your point, it's a really good gateway into rye or into high rye bourbons. Because it's a completely different wheelhouse flavor wise than something like a weeded bourbon would be. Yeah, guys. And here's the beautiful thing. This is like, what, $45, $50, Bob? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really approachable craft spirit that has a lot of really great flavors going on. And it's not crazy expensive. And I will also say a beautiful bottle like the. Uh, yeah. The label on the front of this bad boy is just it's so sleek and so modern, Uh, like I'm really enjoying having it sitting on the shelf behind me so that when I take video calls, people see it there and they think that I'm even fancier than I am, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So we want to say once again, thank you to San Francisco Distilling Company for sending the 49 mile bourbon. 
We want to say thank you to the Tasting Alliance for everything they've done with this episode. We hope this has been a good overview of the New York World Wine and Spirits Competition. Brad, we've got another one coming up in a couple months. I'm going to start resting my palate now in preparation for that thing. Yeah, me too, man. It was a fascinating experience. And once again, thank you to the Tasting Alliance. You guys go out of your way to just create the best judging experience on the market. We'll be back on Tuesday with another regularly scheduled episode. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. 